Why do you pray? Who do you pray to? And how do you feel about the prayer objects used by other belief systems? It's time for episode 11 of What We Believe and Why with pastor, author, and teacher, Dr. George Byron Koch. Last time we were together, we were deep in a discussion regarding the validity of praying to saints and to those that have passed, and in a broader sense, how to understand prayer better. Let's pick up that discussion right where we left off. Here's Pastor George. So we're beginning to look at prayer probably a little more deeply than most of us are used to, and across traditions and history, not just Protestant or not just Roman Catholic or not just Eastern Orthodox, but really across all of them. And we're discovering that there are significant differences in the way people pray and how they understand how prayer works. And at the moment, we're looking to the idea of people praying to those that have died, whether saints or relatives or whatever. And we've found, as of the last time we were together, that two ideas, one that the dead are unaware of the living, and the other that the dead are completely aware of the living, have both been normative in Christian belief over the centuries. And in fact, both of them are normative in parts of the church even today. Until recently, the Eastern Church and virtually the whole Western Church believed the dead knew of those who still lived and cared about them. Thus, it was considered completely legitimate to ask the dead to intercede for you. Maybe even better than asking someone still alive because the dead are in the presence of God. And the saints, well, if anything, they're a little closer to the throne and their prayers are heard more readily. Now, I'm being a bit flippant here, but I want to make the point that much of the church still today, worldwide, and nearly all of it in history, believe that you could ask the dead to pray for you and that the saints were especially worthy to be asked, and Mary, mother of Jesus, was even more so. Now, this whole idea is very foreign to most Western Protestants, but to dismiss it either because it is unfamiliar or to assume that it is heresy, idolatry, or foolishness is to ignore the normative practice and belief of the majority of the church, both today and in history. If these practices are unfamiliar to you, I'm not asking you to start using them or even to conclude that they're a good idea. Rather, I'm suggesting that understanding the concepts of those who practice these methods of prayer can give us insight into why they are so common throughout the world. As a side note, we might also just observe how a small shift in a religious concept, that is, the dead are aware of the living, or they are not, even where there is little scripture to support one view over the other, can cause us to dismiss a huge part of the family of God and the way it prays. Who's right? I don't know. But I don't believe God ignores the prayers of anyone's heart just because they ask circuitously rather than directly. Yet what about praying directly to God himself? That is, do we need to go indirectly through saints or Mary or sweet Uncle Harry 
Or can we go directly to God himself? We might think this is simple. We can go to God, of course. Why not? Well, where is our holy fear? Most Jews today will not even say the name of God out loud, much less suggest just wandering into his presence for a chat. Are we wise to be so fearless? Remember, Moses saw God face to face in some apparently limited way, but in a later encounter, he saw only God's back because to see him directly in all his glory would have killed him. God said so to him. Uzzah died just by touching the Ark of the Covenant. The high priest going into the Holy of Holies once per year would die in God's presence if he had not first been purified. Yow! Maybe this indirect prayer through the intercession of someone in heaven isn't such a bad idea. At the very least, it's understandable. But is it necessary to be indirect in our prayer to God? Here's what Scripture teaches about this. Under the Old Covenant, the priest stands before the altar day after day, offering sacrifices that can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as one sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of highest honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled as a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, he perfected forever all those whom he is making holy. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. First, he says, This is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts so they will understand them, and I will write them on their minds so they will obey them. Then he adds, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. Now when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. This is the new life-giving way that Christ has opened up for us through the sacred curtain by means of his death for us. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's people, let us go right into the presence of God with true hearts fully trusting him. For our evil consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Without wavering, let us hold tightly to the hope we say we have, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. That's from Hebrews 10, 10 through 23. What Hebrews says here is that each and every one of us, because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, has permission to go into the Holy of Holies, where previously only the great high priest could go, and only after he had been purified. The curtain that divided the Holy of Holies from the common people has been split in half, and now we have the right to go into the Holy of Holies, into the very presence of God. Jesus gave us direct 
access. Now, I realize some folks feel that they are not really good enough to talk to Jesus, so they talk to his mother. I understand that. Mary, would you ask Jesus to heal my baby? I'd talk to him myself, but I'm scared and I'm not worthy and I haven't been a good enough person, so Mary, would you please talk to Jesus for me? Similarly, we might seek out a saint known for healing or for travel safety or as an advocate or intercessor. I understand this motivation, and I honestly don't believe God dismisses prayers that come to him in this way. Our fears or misunderstandings don't make God deaf to our prayers. Yet, what Scripture tells us is that we don't have to be afraid of talking directly to the Father, directly to the Son, or directly to the Holy Spirit. Jesus did that for us. That was a gift he gave us by his sacrifice on the cross. I think we ought to take the gifts God gives us and not presume that we are unworthy. He has made us worthy. Do we think he didn't do a sufficient job? He has declared us worthy. By his act, we have become worthy. Therefore, we have permission to go into the Holy of Holies without dying. We should take the gift. We should also regard with love those who yet believe that an indirect approach to God is necessary. He hears them too. So what do we conclude? Well, asking a friend for intercession or praying to saints shouldn't be used as a replacement for talking to God directly yourself. The most important person who can pray for you is you. You can have every person on earth praying for you or for someone you care about, but if you're not doing any praying yourself, something's wrong. It's basically asking everyone else to go to bat for you, but never bothering to join in. Isn't this why we have prayer? Because it's an opportunity to talk intimately with our Creator? It's the means to build an intimate, two-way, personal relationship. And consider God's view. What would He rather have? You personally coming to talk, or you always sending a messenger in your place? The choice should be obvious. Seek the intimacy. Pray to God. So we've looked at to whom. To whom do we pray? We'll begin to look at the ways in which we pray, object and posture, and even the reasons we pray our purpose in just a moment. We'll continue looking at the all-important topic of prayer after this break. Well, from 67 countries around the world, positive reviews are pouring in for what we believe and why. It's available in paperback, in ebook, and an audiobook format as well. And set up for your Nook or Kindle. You can also get it at audible.com. But the main place to check it out is whatwebelieveandwhy.com. Many other resources there, and we encourage you to take advantage of them. We'll be right back. 